Welcome to a special edition of the Darden Admissions Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Twitty, and you are listening to a new episode. So as you may be aware, Darden is relaunching its PhD program in two areas, quantitative analysis, as well as strategy, ethics, and entrepreneurship. As part of this PhD program relaunch, we thought it would be fun here on the podcast to catch up with some PhD program alumni, folks who have previously participated in Darden's PhD program, and kind of kick off this conversation series. I recently connected with a PhD alum, Jeff York, who is an associate professor of strategy and entrepreneurship at the University of Colorado Boulder Lead School of Business. Talk more about his background, how he decided to pursue a PhD, what his experience was like in the Darden PhD program, what he's been up to since completing that program, and so much more. This is a really interesting conversation. If you are interested in green business, sustainability, climate change, anything along those lines, you're really going to enjoy this conversation. So without further ado, here's my interview with Jeff York. Jeff, welcome to the podcast. It's wonderful to be here with you, Brett. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate the invitation. Yeah, thanks for doing this. Um, how is everything? Uh, pretty good. I mean, I got to tell you, it's, uh, it's a beautiful day out here in Colorado. Um, uh, probably a lot different than Virginia. It's actually about um, 75 degrees, cloudy, and a little bit cool. So I'm getting ready to go meet someone for after-dinner beer, and uh, I'm like, I might have to actually put on a jacket. So I'm kind of excited about that. Yeah, the typical late June weather in Colorado? Uh, it depends on the day. Tomorrow it could be 100 and scorching and the whole dang place on fire. Um, the next day it could snow. So that's Colorado. It's, 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 uh, it's an exciting place. Well, thank you for taking time out for the podcast. Um, the context for this for our listeners is Darden is relaunching a PhD program, yeah. uh, PhD program in quantitative uh, analysis, as well as a PhD program in strategy, ethics, and entrepreneurship. And you were in the PhD program at Darden. Um, yep. I also, before we get there, though, you have your own podcast, right? So you've, you've got your podcaster yourself. Yeah. Well, thanks for letting me plug something before I even contributed. I appreciate it. Yeah. Our, our podcast is called Creative Distillation. Uh, it's really easy to find on wherever you purchase your podcasting uh, needs. Um, basically, what we do in that podcast, it's myself. I'm the research director for our Center for Entrepreneurship, uh, the Deming Center for Entrepreneurship here at the Lead School of Business at the University of Colorado Boulder. Um, you know, it's a, it's akin to you, to you guys' entrepreneurship center, you know, same kind of thing. Of course, you have the Batten Institute, which is even bigger and, and, and does a lot more than we're able to do, unfortunately. But uh, what we do is we, we go out, myself, I'm the research director for our center, and then I have the teaching director for the center, who's a serial entrepreneur and investor, not an academic. And we find a piece of research, and either I try to explain it to him uh, in a way that is, I mean, you can certainly understand research, but but in a way that actually sounds useful <laughs> to someone besides an academic. Uh, and then we have a rigorous debate about that, or we have a guest come represent their own research. But the uh, sort of twist is that we we record it either in a, uh, a local brewery or distillery uh, while we're having drinks. So it's meant to evoke um, something that happens around here a lot and something that happens in academia a lot. Uh, people just having an after dinner drink and having a conversation about intellectual topics, and it's a lot of fun. We've I think we're on uh, I think we're almost into season three of it, 
Uh, we've been doing it for a couple of years, had to pivot during the pandemic, like a lot of other things, but uh, it's been enormously fulfilling. And uh, I'm constantly surprised when I meet people that actually listen to it um, that don't know me. And I'm like, wow, that's, that's kind of amazing. So podcasts are a powerful medium. Yeah, it's amazing, right? These things, when you think about podcasts, you're back a decade. Were people really podcasting this kind of way? And then now just the explosion of podcasts. We've got two admissions podcasts, not to mention all the other podcasts here at the Darden School of Business. And, uh, you know, it's not every every day that uh, we have a fellow podcaster on the podcast and wanted to give you an opportunity (laughs) to talk about your podcast. Um, But I also want to give you an opportunity to talk about your experience. Sure. Um, in the PhD program, uh, but let's set the stage just a little bit here. Um, so tell us a little bit more about who you are. Okay, so I am a professor of strategy and entrepreneurship at the University of Colorado Boulder, Lead School of Business. I'm also the research director for the Deming Center for Entrepreneurship, as I said earlier. I'm also the division chair for the Division of Social Responsibility and Sustainability. And I'm a research fellow in our Renewable and Sustainable Energy Institute. And I'm sure I can come up with some more titles, but uh, you know, those are my titles. I don't think that's who I am. Uh, who I am is someone who pivoted out of a professional career. Um, I was a director at Capital One, the what's in your wallet, people. I remember being there when they created that. Um, into something I found a lot more fulfilling. Uh, I mean, it was a great company to work for, but I really wanted to go more into writing and academia. Uh, and I pivoted into a second career as a um, as an academic, as a professor. And that was largely because of my experience. Well, not largely. It was absolutely totally because of my experiences at Darden uh, in the PhD program, but actually even before the PhD program. It's, uh, you know, so... Uh, and other than that, I'm also someone who obviously enjoys beer, as I talked about our podcast earlier. I'm not sure I want that to be my identity. Um, the father of two teenagers who's very glad we're starting to get out of this horrible pandemic that has been so hard on our young people. Um, and uh, I'm also a mountain biker and a snowboarder. And um, and uh, my research is really focused on understanding how entrepreneurship can address climate change through the creation of new projects, services, markets, and industries. So that's what I've studied for the past 15 years, along with some of my mentors at Darden. And uh, that's what I do. Well, I want to go back to that decision. So you're working at Capital One. Yeah. And you decide that you want to go into academia. Um, yeah. What was the actualizing impulse that said, you know what, I, w- I want to pursue a different path? Sure. Um, so... Um, I was, uh, I was at the time like a sponsored, um, class five kayaker. I was like doing a lot. I I got free boats. I wasn't like in videos. I wasn't that cool, but I got free boats and Red Bull and paddled like, you know, class five plus rapids every weekend. Um, but I broke my neck actually (laughs) surfing, not kayaking, um, broke C7, T1, T2, almost drowned, was almost paralyzed. Uh, and I'd been working at Capital One for about five years, and that gave me uh, some time that I didn't want to reflect on what I was doing. And I just sort of reflected on the idea. I think it's an amazing company, but I didn't want to spend the rest of my time and life in financial services. I mean, it's a fine industry. I mean, people want to be in it. That's great. It just wasn't for me. And so I, um, I actually, when I come back, I signed up for a exec ed course in, in leadership and strategy at Darden. Uh, Jim Clawson and uh, Vincat were teaching it. 
And, um, you know, Jim, Jim, I, I think he's since gone emeritus and retired. I'm not sure. Is he still there? Do you know? He's so, still, he's still around, but I think is he's he correct. Could. Okay. For some reason I thought he retired, but, but I'm glad he hasn't because he's an amazing, amazing teacher. Uh, he really did change my life. Um, because he, he really had this, his, the thesis of his lesson was what makes you think you're qualified to be leading people if you don't know what you yourself are trying to achieve in your life. And, you know, Half the people in class are like, yeah, whatever, you know, this professor trying to tell you. But I took it seriously, and it really led to some reflection. And it actually then led to a conversation with Venkat in his office. Um, I asked him if I could talk to him, and he's like, sure, you know. So we go to his office. I'm like, look, I, th- I think I might want to be a professor. And I'm sure, he, you know, professors hear this all the time from people who are MBAs. And I want to be a professor. It looks fun, you know. And he's like, fun. Venkat gave me three copies of, like, uh, academic journals. I want you to read these tonight. And then come back tomorrow and tell me if you're still interested. I mean, these are heavy sledding things to read, especially if you're not in the, the thing. So I, I did it and I came back and he's like, well, what did you think? I was like, well, some of it was really boring and some of it I couldn't understand. And some of it was incredibly interesting, but I thought it was all more exciting than what I'm doing at Capital One. <laughs> he liked that answer. So then I met uh, Saris, uh, Saris Fathi and Ed Freeman and Andy Wicks and Pat Werhey and all the amazing faculty at Darden. And um, I, I, I never really understood why they would let me in um, because I'm not a traditional PhD candidate. And I think at least I, I can't remember who told me this, but one, you know, over drinks or dinner one time, well, I said, well, you know, we really thought the fact that you would just walk away from, you know, a successful career and the money that comes with that and stock options and everything else uh, in order to um, in order to come pursue something where we can pay you um, basically a living wage stipend. And the fact that you were interested in environmental problems, you know, we, we, we think that, you know, I mean, the, 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 for Darden's a very unique PhD program in strategy, ethics, and entrepreneurship in that they view those fields as talking to each other and being mutually productive in conversations. That is not a totally unique view, but somewhat different than the way many programs are geared. It's not often that students in business ethics and strategy for example, will necessarily be taking the same seminars and having the same mentors. I mean, that's the unique faculty at Darden and their and their views of things. And so it's one of the few programs I think that probably would have let me in with that interest at the time. Sorry if that's a long answer. It was a it was a big decision, a big turning point in my life. And and as I said, it absolutely would not have happened if I just didn't happen to be fortunate enough to live uh, down in Richmond and have traveled up to Charlottesville for exec ed and met Jim and Vincat. Hey, what an incredible lineup of faculty you just mentioned, by the way. Um, those are legends at yeah. Darden, all of them. Um, how did you develop your research interests? So you mentioned this interest right. in sustainability. Yeah, so I'm a, I was extremely annoying to the faculty and to all the students because uh, I had, uh, before uh, working at Capital One, I, I, I co-founded a whitewater rafting company, and we had... Um, set up shop in a little town on the border of Tennessee and North Carolina called Hartford. And we, we bought the, the local elementary school. And at the time I was like, cool, that's, that's, that was easy. We've got an outpost right here by the river. And over time, as I lived there, I came to realize the reason we could buy the elementary school, because everyone had moved out of this town. And I don't want to say all elementary kids died. It wasn't that bad, but, or had gotten very sick with cancer and died. It was a huge cancer cell. And it turns out the river we were rafting on um, was polluted with dioxins from a paper mill across the border of North Carolina. 
And so for me, I got involved in a lot of activism trying to do something about this. Now, the river had been cleaned up. They weren't actively dumping docks in it or we wouldn't have been taking people rafting. But still, they were putting pollutants in the river and you could just see it. I mean, it just and there's something about when you like viscerally live an environmental problem, when it goes from being this esoteric, I want to save the polar bears to like, I worry about my future health because of the things I'm exposed to. Um, and for me, it was a little bit of a unique situation because it really affected our business as well. So this was where I started to think about the idea that like, you know, business and solving environmental problems aren't necessarily always at odds. Sometimes they can go hand in hand and create opportunity. Um, and then I'd done my MBA at the University of Tennessee. I met a guy named Tom Dean, who's an amazing professor at Colorado State. And he was teaching us uh, some of his ideas about entrepreneurship, environmental problems. Of course, there were four people in the class. Um, and those ideas kind of stuck with me throughout my time at Capital One and uh, just being an outdoors person. And then I started to read about climate change, um, it's be 2005 before An Inconvenient Truth, and just to realize that it really did present an existential and apocalyptic crisis on the horizon. And most people weren't aware of that. And so I came to UVA wanting to study how entrepreneurs could solve environmental problems and specifically climate change. And so no matter what the seminar was on, I turned it towards that topic, which is why I say I annoyed the hell out of everybody for years and years. Uh, I remember Sarah's telling me, that's a lovely idea. What a wonderful thing to go study. You will never get a job in academia if you study that. <laughs> she was right. I mean, you know, at the time, you know, I, I had to work on her and convince her and, uh, and uh, my wife was like, you need to stop arguing with your professor all the time. I'm like, no, it's Sarah. She loves that. Like, trust me, it's fine. Uh, anyway, but yeah, no, I mean, it was, uh, but over time, you know, so many people, I mean, Ed, Ed Freeman, obviously, was already really dialed in on environmental issues and think about that and was really great to work with. And I mean, they were totally, even though it wasn't like at the time, something Sarah and, and even Venkat were really interested in, I remember at the start, they were so supportive and helpful in trying to help me develop my research interests. So, so that's how I came in and saw my experience there. Yeah, it's interesting to think about the sort of environmental issues. We've talked a bunch on the podcast about the school's orientation towards stakeholder theory and oh, yeah. environmentalism. Oh, my God. I'm sorry. This is like down memory lane. Andy Larson at the time. Andy was hugely helpful to me as well in thinking about these things. I ended up writing some cases with her and I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. But I just, I, I, uh, I forgot to mention how, I mean, she was the reason I came to Darden at, at the beginning because I didn't know who any of these other people were, quite honestly. <laughs> like meeting them, I'm like, oh, yeah, this guy seems to be a professor. All right, cool, whatever. And then we were lucky enough to have Mike Lennox join while I was there too. And that, that kind of crystallized. Uh, he really helped me figure out how to make a career out of this. Yeah, I would imagine he would have been a natural thought partner. Uh, oh yeah, you. I was trying to, I actually went to a, conference, I remember at Chapel Hill, UNC, I was trying to sell Mike on being on my committee. So I'm like, oh man, this Mike Lennox guy. It'd be awesome if I could get him on my dissertation committee. I give him this big pitch. I quarter him and buttonhole him. And he's like, well, you know, I'm coming to UVA, right? I'm like, uh, you mean to visit? He's like, no, I'm joining the faculty. I was like, oh. He's like, so of course I'll be on your committee. I was like, oh, okay, great. <laughs> like a doctoral student, you don't know what's going on. I had no idea Mike was going to join the faculty guys just but man what lucky just a stroke of luck for me well how would you describe your your time at, at darden it sounds like it, you found yourself in a pretty good place oh my god man i see i never understand like this sounds so hmm 
Okay, I'll just say it. I never understand when doctoral students are depressed. Um, I, I acknowledge that this is a hard thing to do. Make no mistake, if you're listening to this and think about doing your doctorate, it is a difficult uh, task filled with challenges and rejection. Uh, and that's really the career of an academic and writing for academic publishing. It's, it's, you're going to be rejected more than you're accepted. It's hard. That's why we call it science. It's rigorous and difficult to get your ideas out there. But for me, I would just like go to work and to my seminars every day, just not believing my luck, like that, like my job was to go talk to these brilliant people and the people in my cohort who I really liked and had very different, diverse backgrounds and experiences from mine. And to talk about topics I was interested in and to think about them and write about them. And um, I mean, I just was, I, I, it, was one of the, it was a wonderful time. We had both of our children uh, during the doctoral program. Um, obviously easier for a father than a mother, but um, you know, everybody there was just so supportive and so helpful and so damn smart that you just, you know, you feel like, man, I got to rise to meet these people's expectations. At least that's how I felt. And I remember, I remember Ed uh, coming to our first meeting as a, as a cohort and saying, well, you know, if you people don't actually do something meaningful, I'm done with this. I'm not going to mess with doctoral students anymore. If you people don't do something that amounts to something I think is meaningful. He was like, well, why is this guy angry? <laughs> but you know, Ed, I mean, he's super intellectually rigorous. I mean, frighteningly so to a doctoral student. Um, and he was just challenging us. And I, I really responded to that. Well, I don't think it's for everyone. I don't think it's for people who want a lot of handholding or um, to be given, uh, oh, you know, you tried and that's great. I mean, this is not, this is not the program if that's what you want. <laughs> You're not going to get that. But if you push yourself and you, I mean, I had no idea how to be an academic. Obviously, my background, I had nothing academic. There's no one in my family that's an academic or even a teacher. Well, my mom taught elementary school for a few years, but that, other than that, you know, I mean, this is just not something I even knew how to do. So, but um, if that sounds like something you want, then this is a great program to be in. I know it's been a little while, but do you want to talk at all about your dissertation? Dissertation? I was looking at your CV last night yeah. to prepare for this conversation. It looks interesting. I mean, renewable yeah. energy, green building, these kinds of well, things. I just I published the last paper from it um, last year, I think. <laughs> It's uh, what twelve years out. Um, you know, I tell you, you know, academic publishing is is uh, you know really easy. It just takes twelve years to get a paper. Out. That's that's not typical. Um, yeah. So the dissertation was like three different papers, each looking at different facets of how entrepreneurs could influence environmental problems to the better, specifically climate change. Um, the first one was written with Vincat in my very first seminar, actually. Of course, we revised it over the years I was there, but um, but it was just basically laying out a theoretical ideology, well, not ideology, I'm sorry, I shouldn't say it, an, a theoretical model of how, when, and why would entrepreneurs affect environmental problems, looking at, at classic entrepreneurship theories of uh, innovation and uncertainty and basically looking at Austrian economists and understanding how those ideas, which had absolutely nothing to do with anything environmental at all, could be applied to solving environmental problems. And so that was a, a pretty unique stance and is still my most cited paper. 
Um, and then the second paper I was looking at, uh, working with Saris, looking at um, understanding the journey of individual entrepreneurs in the renewable energy industry and how their identity uh, they held impacted the types of decisions they made and how they recruited stakeholders and how that led to longevity. And the long story short is we found the more environmentally focused people were, the less likely they actually were to succeed. <laughs> Um, and it was because they would, they had this like purity test thing they would do, uh, where it's like, well, you know, you're not, you're not a true environmentalist. You worked in oil and gas, so I don't want to work with you. And it's just a terrible stance for a business person to have, right? Like, well, you've done something very different than what I believe is, is the, is the right thing to do. So I'm not going to listen to you. Like, I mean, this is just not good as a leader, um, in any context. And then the third paper was working primarily with Mike Lennox. Uh, looking at the emergence of uh, the green building industry and what actually drove uh, entrepreneurial entry into that industry. And what we found was that uh, sociocultural norms or belief systems at the state level actually drove entry for entrepreneurs more than economically rational drivers like policy changes or, or economic forecasts in the construction industry. Um, and then in further work, we've advanced that now with one of my doctoral students, Sid Badula, uh, we've worked with him over time. He's also been a, a Batten Institute fellow uh, to explore. That actually makes a real difference too. When those entrepreneurial entrants come in, they actually increased adoption of, of green building. Uh, and that actually has, we know from other evidence, a real impact on reducing carbon emissions. So these basically is a three essay dissertation um, that was different uh, theoretical lenses, different types of studies, one theory, one qualitative, one quantitative, but knit together by a through line of what the actual broad empirical question was. Well, that's, I mean, that touches on a lot of topics that obviously continue to play out today. What's it been like to be focused on this question of environmentalism, sustainability, all green technologies from back in 2005 yeah. to the present? I mean, that's almost 20 years. Yeah, it's pretty amazing, really. Um, and it's funny, like, um, you know, I remember first, I can't remember what it was for, but some some people were reviewing my work for something. And one of the critiques was, well, you know, York has probably benefited from the trendiness of this topic. And I just like, like I said, I remember Sarah's, I mean, if, and she was saying this in a way trying to help me, like, don't, don't get me wrong. She's not like anti-environmentalist, just the opposite. But, you know, I remember saying like, hey, that's great, but you just there's no way you can get you. nobody nobody other than Andy Larson and Tom Dean at the time believed that entrepreneurship should have anything to do with environmental problems other than perhaps causing them. Um, and so it's kind of, I've just been lucky from a perspective of my career that uh, people have become more aware of these issues. And then people are always like, uh, oh, well, you're studying these things. You know, aren't you worried that it won't be trendy? I'm like, well, it wasn't trendy when I started studying it. And you know, the reality is, I don't want to depress people, but reality is, is climate change is an existential crisis that we are plummeting head forward, headfirst down a grease slide into, frankly, extinction at some point. Now, the planet's going to be fine. The human race will not if we continue on this current path. Uh, it's going to take a while. So unfortunately, these problems, while awareness of them is growing, the problems themselves are getting worse and worse. And despite um, good intentions by a lot of people, 
uh, we're not solving them. But there is actual evidence that entrepreneurs do play a role. Um, you know, I mean, this this literature we've kind of created over the past 15 years, not me, but we, lots of people, um, is showing things that when you bring entrepreneurship into this, the, the political discussion sort of fades the background and entrepreneurs kind of act as a borderland where ideologies around the market and protecting public goods can get together. And I mean, you see things like the plummeting price of solar energy, the influx of EVs at a rate that no one predicted, um, proliferation of wind energy and the price of that plummeting. I mean, it's very infrequent that a coal-fired power plant is going to be built these days because they're just not cost competitive. So entrepreneurship's what does that, um, in my opinion. It's not the only solution. It'd be great if we just had a tax on carbon tomorrow in this country. But with the Supreme Court decision that happened today, uh, I'm even more skeptical in the ability of the government alone to solve these problems. We need business people to use their skills to create more environmentally sustainable and economically sustainable solutions. Let me see if I can say out loud what I think is the implication of what you're saying. Um, so like when large companies get involved or yeah. large, you know, large entities, Sure. Uh, the conversation around some of these things gets pushed in a political direction, whereas entrepreneurs, they can operate in maybe a less charged, less political way to address some of these existential uh, issues. Well, right. So, so, and this is what Venkat and I were writing about in that original paper I was talking about. Like, entrepreneurs aren't beholden to the path dependency of the history of a company. Existing companies are beholden to a path dependency of been doing things a certain way. They're also beholden to public shareholders. They have a lot of tensions and trade-offs when they try to move in a direction, even if they have the intent of doing the right thing and moving towards more environmentally conscious products. So, let's say, you know, for example. I don't know, just pick a company. I'm not going to pick on somebody. Large corporation that sells cleaning products, let's say. They bring out their green line of cleaning products. Inherently, you've just implied all their other cleaning products are not green. <laughs> this is like uh, the BP uh, CEO that got fired when he was relabeling the company Beyond Petroleum. And uh, he's like, it's really hard to tell 90% of a company they're not the future of the company. That doesn't work real well. Entrepreneurs don't have any of that. They're creating new opportunities. They're creating new organizations. They're creating them from the ground up. And when they are creating uh, profitable, growing organizations that inherently address carbon emissions through the proliferation of their product, there's no tension. The more we sell our product, the more carbon emissions get reduced by the displacement of carbon-based fuels. And the more money we make, the more people we can hire, the more we can do for the economy. And when you're in that position or when you can point to that, even as an activist, then you get a lot of the, frankly, false trade-offs between the economy and the ecology to just go away. Um, and this is something I've been studying throughout my career. And actually, I, I plan to write a book about it at some point. Um, it's really the, it's not just the products that the environmental entrepreneurs bring to market. It's what they symbolically do that dissolves this false trade-off that we don't necessarily have to have. It is super interesting um, just to kind of think about how entrepreneurs, because I think a lot of people think about environmental issues from the perspective of the really large company, you know, sure. X market share, you know, oh, yeah. work global, global enterprise. Whereas entrepreneurs, the, the role that they can play here. I wonder, did you know about the effectuation model and a lot of what Saris and Vincat do? Did you know about that before coming to Darden? 
Uh, no, actually, no, no. I mean, I, I, I think Sarah's published her AMR paper in 2001. I could be wrong about that. No, I had no idea what it was. And I had no idea who Saris was. Um, well, I didn't know who Vincat was. I didn't know who any of these people were. I just like, they were nice people. Um, I remember Saris's job interview was like, well, what do you like to read? I'm like, uh, I like Stephen King a lot. She's like, what about science fiction? You're reading science fiction. I'm like, yeah, I like, I, I you know, recently reread Dune. She's like, oh, okay. So then, so there's a, there's a good interview tip. Anyone applying, talking to Saris, talk about science fiction. You're getting good with her. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, then I, but once I interviewed, uh, and once I knew I was accepted in the program, I started to look up and actually read their work. And I read about effectuation and, and loved it. Uh, having been an entrepreneur, and I have this comment, I, I teach effectuation every year. It's not my research area. You know, that's what Saris does. I don't want to be, you know, I couldn't be, couldn't be any like Saris anyway. She's a totally unique individual. But uh, but I think, um, but I very much resonated with effectuation and Tried to implement some of it at Capital One, which went spectacularly awfully, um, as one might expect. And I'm sure Sarah would say, but you might not say the same thing. If you're trying to like make corporate decisions about maximizing effect, uh, uh, existing products, this is not the place for effectual thinking necessarily. <laughs> I really irritated people with that. Um, but I think effectuation is enormously powerful. But no, I, I, sure, I did not know of it. Uh, it, it influenced, I probably, you know, fluctuation probably influences me more in how I live um, than my research. Um, I, I actually pursue research in a factual manner in that uh, my collaborations come from self-selected stakeholders that, that put skin in the game. And then that expands my means and we create research projects that way. I really try to, I take an effectual approach to a lot of things in life Um it's uh, it's almost just a great way of living in my life. I mean, you know, giving up the idea of prediction and expectations in exchange for control is a pretty good trade-off, uh, I think, for people's mental health. Well, you finish up the PhD program at Darden, and then what was next for you? Went to Colorado? Yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that was pretty much it linearly. Um, I was coming out on the market the year of the subprime collapse, uh, 2009. So, um, yeah, things were looking pretty grim. Nobody was really hiring. Uh, I'd been through the dot-com boom collapse, too, so I kind of understood that. And, um, and, you know, I had a bunch of papers that were, like, under review but hadn't been accepted yet. And basically, having accepted and published papers on the academic job market is what makes a huge difference. So I was kind of dabbling in the market, and I had a few prospects. But uh, I remember Mike Lennox saying, "Man, I wish, uh, wish we had another year to work on these papers." And I was like, "Well, you know, Mike, you guys just hire me, and I'll just stay here." And he's like, "Well, we don't do that." <laughs> Although Darden does sometimes do that, as does Harvard. But um, so, uh, he, but what, but you know, this is the beauty of being in a place that just has like you know resources and flexibility and autonomy, like Darden does. I mean, it really is just an amazing institution. That way, he's like, well, look, why don't we create a position for you as a a um, a senior researcher, and then you can just stay for a year and uh, effectively work on this research, which is an amazing opportunity for a young scholar. So, I was able to do that for a year. I did like basically a postdoc year at Darden and then I applied and got the job at Colorado because I mean, I wouldn't have gotten it the previous year because I didn't publish papers. 
Um, and I think, um, I think the folks at, at Darden do a really good job of helping coach you uh, to be successful, whatever your career aspirations are. Um, they really try to point you towards a, a life you'll be happy with. And so, yeah, then I got jobs as an assistant professor at Colorado and stayed here through tenure. And, and now I'm a full professor, which is, you know, basically the academic steps. You start as assistant professor, then you become an associate professor with tenure, and then you get promoted to full professor. And um, it's pretty rare. I don't say it's any hubris or anything. I hope not anyway, but it's pretty rare for people to get tenure at their first institution. Usually you need longer than the allocated time, which is around six years to get a, a publication um, record that justifies tenure. Usually you got to go somewhere and, and then your clock restarts. So you got six years from the time you're hired to the time you're up for tenure. If you go somewhere else, you got another six years, right? So usually it takes people a couple of tries. Uh, I was able to do it staying here. I love, I love Boulder. I wanted to be here because of the things I study. I love the university of Colorado. I've been very, this, this was the school I wanted to work at. Like I literally was like, I go to their social event every year at our Academy meeting. I, I want to work there. Um, in fact, it's one of the reasons, I mean, you know, it was a, a huge reason uh, why I went to academia because I really wanted to come to the, I wanted to move to the West. I wanted to make a change. I'd lived in Montana some and, um, so, yeah, I mean, I attribute that success absolutely to the support of my professors at, at UVA. I mean, um, Saris was my supervisor of my dissertation. I remember I was getting a cup of reappointment. She sends me an email. I was like, what have you published? I'm like, uh, I'm trying. She's like, trying's not going to cut it. Here, work on this project with me. We're going to get this done. And it was awesome. She just, uh, out of the blue, one day, is just like, hey, you know, you need to get some stuff published. How can I help? I mean, you know, a lot of professors, once you got a job, they're like, kind of like you're on, but not, not, not the folks at Darden. They've definitely stayed as mentors and collaborators and colleagues throughout my career. It's really quite amazing. I'm, I'm just lucky, man. I had no idea what I was getting into, but, but if you're listening to this, I'm telling you, if this sounds like something appealing to you, if you're interested in, you know, taking the history of actual thought and applying it to, to deep philosophical questions about strategy, entrepreneurship, and ethics, and even better, how those things can go together to create a better world, I, I highly recommend the program. If you can get into it, this, there's no better place to do this. Um, if that's not what you want, then you'll be miserable. <laughs> If you want people to just teach you how to run econometric models and crank out papers on, on competitive advantage, I'm certainly the people at Darden could teach you to do that, but I don't think you'd be well served going there. Um, I think you should go to some different program. Well, Jeff, I wonder what you're working on right now. Anything you can share with us? Sure. Uh, let's see. I just, uh, I'm actually, as soon as I get off this, I'm going to turn in a paper draft um, where we're actually... I'm working with a, a professor at Wharton named Tyler Rye and another guy at Texas uh, Tech University, uh, Ted Waldron, two friends and collaborators of mine. And we're, and we're writing a piece where um, we're trying to describe the future of entrepreneurship research and how and why. There's been a recent movement in entrepreneurship research where folks have, uh, have been advocating that because we don't have native theories, uh, because we're applying theories from outside of entrepreneurship, we're not really a real field and we need to create our own theories. And yeah, sure, that's true. But our position is bringing together multiple theories. And I think a lot of this actually is, I'm not, I'm not just trying to 
say this because I'm on the podcast, but it's top of mind. I think a lot of this comes from the multidisciplinary, multi-theoretical lens perspective you get uh, in your PhD training at Darn. Like bringing different theories to bear on practical problems is important because no theory is the truth with a capital T. And the idea that a field exists to create these esoteric academic theories is kind of frankly depressing to me. Instead, we advocate that the field of entrepreneurship should exist to understand the role of creation of new markets, products, services, and industries, and yes, creating economic outcomes, but also in solving social and environmental problems. And so it's basically um, a very dense academic argument for that. Uh, getting ready to turn that in uh, right after we get off here. And then I'm also working on a couple, a lot of things with my doctoral students. Uh, I'm working on a paper right now that's uh, examining the um, the something called the Boulder Energy Challenge without getting into too much detail. It's basically a public-private partnership between the city of Boulder and entrepreneurs to address climate change. I'm doing that with my doctoral student, Elizabeth Embry, who is looking for a job this year. She'll be coming on the market. So if anyone out there can hire someone, uh, reach out to Elizabeth Embry. She is amazing, wonderful uh, young scholar. And uh, we're looking at understanding how those entrepreneurial lenses and those governmental lenses come together in some instances more effectively to address climate than others and how that can be a model for things going forward. And I got another one looking at uh, how entrepreneurs influenced adoption of renewable energy in the EU with some colleagues um, in Spain, uh, actually, and we're, we're getting ready to resubmit that as well. A lot of projects going on. Um, yeah, so that's those are three. I probably got about a dozen various things I'm doing. And then I do want to write uh, a field handbook for environmental entrepreneurs. Haven't been doing this for about 20 years now. I feel like I I want to write a book for students and for those that are looking to make a career shift on how do you think about environmental problems from an entrepreneurial perspective? I'll probably uh, set us on time to do that uh, my next sabbatical year, which is coming up. And another wonderful thing about academic life, every six years or so, you get to take a sabbatical and go somewhere else and think. It's pretty amazing. Um, if you're considering going to academia and you like writing and you like thinking, um, I just don't know what else you could do that could be a better profession. Uh, I honestly have no idea. Well, Jeff, um, any other, I mean, you shared a lot of great insights about the PhD program at Darden. Any, any uh, final word that you would leave our listeners with if they're thinking about uh, this program? No, I mean, you know, just realize you're going to be working. If you, if you're fortunate enough to get into this program, um, you know, I, I, like I said, I had no idea how lucky I was, but you're not going to be working with people that just publish papers. I mean, they'll teach you how to publish papers because you got to do that to live. But more importantly, they'll teach you how to think deeply and differently uh, about the world and about research in particular. But it's, it's more than it was, but more than that for me, it was really, um, without getting too metaphysical here or anything, it really changed my perspective on, you know, what is, um, what is the human condition and, and what is the responsibility of those of us that teach business tools and leadership and entrepreneurship and innovation um, to the world. And um, I think that's pretty damn unique. And um, I just, I mean, I just look back at my time there with nothing but fondness and happy memories. Uh, 
you know, yeah, you'll struggle for sure. If you're not struggling, you're not in a good PhD program. You should struggle, but you'll come out of it uh, with a whole new perspective and your mind massively expanded. I, I, I'm really excited. There's a Darden is hosting the Alliance for Research and Corporate Sustainability coming up next year. I don't know if it's going to be in D.C. or Charlottesville. I hope it's in Charlottesville, but if it's in D.C., then I'll just travel back to Charlottesville. Um, I mean, not to mention, it's just an amazing place to live, a uh, wonderful place to live. The, the grounds are just inspirational to go there every day. It's just beautiful, and, and, um, and it's just a great place to be. Good luck if you're applying. Um, feel free to reach out to me if you want to ask questions. I'm happy, always happy to talk to people about my experience. And I'm glad I went to Tartan because I love working here. I'm really happy in my career. I love where I work and what I do. Best job in the world, in my opinion. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for your time. It's been great talking with you. And uh, this conversation is a real treat. I, I talked to our faculty about their research interests and the things that they're doing. And it was great to hear about the things that you're passionate about. So thank you for, for sharing your career and your experiences at Darden and, and your research interests with our listeners. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure and honor, Brett. I really appreciate you reaching out. And uh, I think it's, I'm, I'm really excited about the relaunch of the PhD program. Uh, that's super exciting. And I just want to do anything I can to support that because I think it is, I think it does offer a unique value proposition that we sorely need in our profession. And uh, I just, couldn't think of anything better I could do than get great students to go there because it's an amazing experience. And that was my conversation with Jeff York, a Darden PhD program alum and associate professor of strategy and entrepreneurship at the University of Colorado Boulder Lead School of Business. As always, if you have any comments, suggestions, requests, anything you'd like for us to cover here on the podcast, we're all ears. We can be reached at Darden, that's D-A-R-D-E-N, at virginia.edu. Until next time, stay safe, be well, and thanks for listening.